Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uplift My Life Today, the podcast. Stories connect us, inspire us, and give us hope. Everyone has a story. We believe that stories of real people who have suffered adversities, breakups, and breakdowns, and rebuilt their lives are powerful reminders of what the human spirit is capable of. Whether you're just starting or in the midst of your own journey to rebuild your life, or supporting someone going through their challenges, stories show us what's possible. This is The Honest Hour. My name is Astuti Marto Sudirjo. I am a subconscious mind reprogrammer. And I'm Julie Growl. I enjoy connecting with people, listening to their stories and being inspired by them. Together, we are holding the space for brave life warriors to share their journeys, their reflections and learnings. They show us that no matter where you are in life, However dark that place is, there is the option to rise up, that it's doable and worthwhile if we choose to. They show us another way. Living your life with more ease is possible. Today, we would like to welcome Jyoti Sharma, also known as JJ. Jyoti is a survivor of domestic violence. During a vulnerable period in her life, eight plus years ago, she was in a relationship which turned abusive. She experienced financial, emotional, and physical abuse. Eight years on, JJ has transformed her life. Despite facing many challenges, she has successfully rebuilt herself and has gone on to develop a business and overcome the financial debt that she was left in. And more importantly, live life without fear. This is the first time that JJ is speaking about her experience on a public platform with the hope that it will encourage other survivors of domestic violence to believe they can rebuild their life and be free of fear. Welcome, JJ. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you here. It's an honor to host you and your first time sharing this publicly, JJ. So it's quite interesting to hear it what I've experienced, but I'm hearing them talk about it. Yeah. That was quite interesting. Well, before we deep dive into this whole topic, I would like to just encourage the viewers and the listener to consider doing a couple of things in case what you are about to share, JJ, Mm -hmm. triggers them. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you may want to consider doing is if this story or what is being told here is triggering you, just pause this recording Uh, Take a long deep breath and just uh, take time to come back to your body and to tell yourself that you are safe because you are safe and take as long as you need to to come back into your present moment in your body. So always come back to the body. The second option that you could do is um, to do act to listen while tapping. So tapping, the easiest way to do it is just uh, imagine you are lifting your Uh, left or right palm, it doesn't matter which one, and just uh, using the two fingers of one 
hand um, to tap into the karate chop point area on your other hand and just gently, gently tap like this while breathing and listening. Again, if the story or what be, what is being told is still triggering you, pause, <laughs> do this, go for a walk and come back again. So don't force yourself to listen through it until the end. We want everybody to be well while listening to this because there's a lot of nice things coming out of this, but we don't want you to get disturbed. If you cannot come back to your body, get help. Okay? So just so that we are well prepared for this uh, sharing. Julie? Great. Thank you, Astuti. You're welcome. Coach JJ. Hi. Hi. Um, we're so, yeah, so curious um, about, you, about you and your story. Can you uh, share a little bit more about, about yourself and what happened to you? Yeah. So, I mean, we're going back. I left this situation about eight plus years ago, but, you know, it started about, it was about 12 years ago. And I met someone, I was in quite a vulnerable place myself in my life. I have a, a younger sister who I'm a carer for who's disabled and has, you know, different medical uh, challenges. So she was experiencing quite a lot of difficulties. It was having an impact on me financially as well, trying to work, support myself, support my sister in her care. So I was quite vulnerable, feeling quite stressed. And I went into this place to ask for advice. And that is where I had met, um, you know, my ex-partner. He worked there um, and he knew I was, you know, not in a great place because while I was in there, I started crying when I was talking about my situation, asking for advice. So before I left, you know, he approached me and he, you know, showed a lot of sympathy, a lot of sympathy and was being very supportive. You know, I saw that you were upset. Is everything okay? Do you need a glass of water? Is there anything I can help with? And he, the question he asked me in that moment didn't seem significant, reflecting, it's it's significant. His question was, do you not have anyone else around you who can help and support you? And my, my answer was no. And on reflection, and I'll go into sort of, it'll make sense as I go along, but on reflection, I kind of realized that was almost his indication. Okay. If I did kind of pursue anything with this person, she doesn't have a strong support network around her when she's going through challenges. Anyway, he volunteered to help me. He said, oh, I know people who can help you, give you advice for free. So, you know, he took my number, I took his. We started communicating. Fast forward, we kind of a few months, we entered into a relationship. The first year, um, so I was in that relationship for around four years. The first year, um, I mean, it it was, I guess, as smooth as it could be. Uh, the first few months, very caring, very attentive, um, made a lot of effort. You know, I was his priority in, in everything. It was a really nice feeling, especially when you're feeling vulnerable. Um, the signs were there, the, the you know, the signs that I, I guess I overlooked were there but I kind of ignored them. And then as the years went on, the relationship started to become very toxic. Um, he would, you know, say a lot of things to me to bring me down, things like, oh, you're stupid, 
no one would even want to be friends with you, no one would want to socialize with you, would started saying things to me like, um, you know, you can't really trust your family. So there was a lot of those things that he was starting to say to me. There were things happening as well that were making me question my own sanity. Um, so he would say something and then backtrack on it. Then what are you talking about? He'll tell me to, oh, can you go and do this? And if I do, he'd be like, why are you doing that? Because you just told me, no, I didn't. So there was a lot of those kind of things happening. So gaslighting, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, we then move on to probably, I, I, it was probably the third year into the relationship. By then, I was already feeling quite confused by it. On reflection, what was happening was he was, I mean, the best way I can describe this is he was grooming me. So, you know, the things he was telling me, turning me against, he never turned me against my family, but putting in my mind that I can't trust my family, trying to isolate me from my friends and family. He had become unemployed. So financially, he was not in a great place. And I was then supporting him financially. He would often say I've got no money to eat and I would feel quite guilty and next thing you know a lot of my wages were going to him um and then we move into the the kind of final year of us being together and that's when things started to get uh dangerous uh very violent um the violence started uh, I mean subtle's not really the right word but you know just just describe it started with him uh, again, I'll never. I, you don't forget these moments, but it started with him throwing an oven glove glove at my head, and I thought that's you know it took me back. That was a really kind of to me that was that response to being annoyed was was quite different, strange. You know, made me sort of sit up, um, and then that moved to a slap, um, then moved to a punch, and then obviously the last time I saw him was. Uh, quite serious. Uh, the last time I saw him, it was, I don't even know how many hours um, I was locked in his house. Um, he had locked the front door so I couldn't leave. He had taken my phone and I just spent hours in his house being beaten um, in every possible way. I was being punched, slapped, kicked, stamped on, whipped with a metal pole, whipped with a belt he bit into my nose he was digging my teeth his teeth into me bit into my hand held me at knife point so there was a lot of extreme it was very very violent uh the last time I saw him so yeah a relationship that started off with someone approaching me saying that they wanted to support me started off by him being very caring you know paying attention to the little things I like and making sure like I could simple things like, oh, when I was little, I used to eat a lot of Canettos and all of a sudden he goes and buys a box of Canetto ice cream for me to eat. So very kind of caring to someone who, if I'm honest, someone who I, I think I, I'm lucky, I'm lucky I'm alive. Mm, my God. May I ask what happened as he's escalating with his abuse from emotional words into physical, were you sharing this with anyone were you talking about it to close people in your life um when it first started no right um, I was still trying to make sense of it myself 
Right. I was very confused by it because I was trying to process what was actually happening. I was, I was that as the months went on, you know, from being this very caring person to moving to a person who was then making me doubt myself and my confidence started to get affected, was making me question things that I've st- said was already battering my confidence quite a lot, you know, saying things to me constantly asking me questions intentionally he knew I never had the answer to and then his response Mm. would be oh you're stupid you're not intelligent enough I can't even take you somewhere with me to a party what would you even talk about people would laugh at you so he'd already started saying things to me where my confidence was quite low so it's not easy going to someone and saying oh by the way I'm connected to someone and apparently I'm stupid or apparently I'm not you know I'm you know I can't socialize with people so it was something that I was believing, even though when he was saying it, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, my God, you're right. But when someone says it over and over and over Mm. again, you don't realize that you actually start believing it. Mm. Um, And I I realized I believed it after I left the situation and I went to a social gathering and all of a sudden it was like I was mute. I couldn't speak. I couldn't. People I've known for years, I couldn't hold a conversation with them. And I realized that what he was saying to me was making me believe, I believed Mm. it, that actually I wasn't even good enough to hold a conversation with someone. Um, But I did start to speak to my sister-in-law about it. So the Mm. first time he slapped me, I spoke to my sister-in-law about it. So it took me four years. Right. I found that moment just so confusing. But I also knew, deep down, I knew that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found that moment so confusing that I said to her, you know, he slapped me and even she was really shocked by it. Um, and there were a, quite a few violent episodes in between that slap and and when I that last time I saw him and I didn't tell anyone about that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't because I felt like people were going to judge me. I felt like people were going to say, um you know why are you putting up with that but you know mm-hmm. why haven't you left um and so I kept it to myself there was a part of me that was protecting the relationship mm. um out of fear I was really scared for my safety by the time we got into year four mm-hmm. I was feeling quite frightened from him yeah um and there was that part of it fear was a huge reason why I didn't feel like I could speak to anyone. I was worried about the consequences. Mm. If he found out I spoke to someone, what would that mean for me? Um, But by the time we got to the last time, yes, I had spoke to my sister-in-law, my cousin and uh, my best friend. Mm. Three very significant um, and strong women in my life. And if it wasn't for them, if I'm honest, if it wasn't for them, I probably would be struggling to leave that relationship. Um, so it was much later down the line I started to to tell people about it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that there were lots of signs, um, you know, leading up to it. Uh, can you tell us maybe what some of these signs were? Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing was um, <laughs> the first thing was my intuition. Mm-hmm. um that feeling that feeling that something's not right here that feeling when I was I would feel panic inside me um 
there was just something in me telling me something's not right. But because I was already in a place where I was feeling quite anxious, I didn't, I, I mixed that up. You know, I didn't understand that actually my intuition's telling me this situation's not right, get out of it. Mm. I confused it with, I'm feeling quite anxious about, you know, other things that are happening in my life. And that's what that feeling is. There were mood swings. Uh, so he started to have a lot of mood swings. Um, he, I, I, I started to notice, I saw his anger in the first year, but not towards mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I saw it towards other people. Um, and even though I found it quite strange, I didn't, at the same time, I didn't think too much by it. I just thought, okay, maybe that's just a hot-tempered person. But he would get very angry over over things like the supermarket not giving a carrier bag. Um, I remember we were walking once and there was there was a someone standing outside the restaurant saying, oh, come and have a, a look at our restaurant. And he said no. And, and the guy obviously was saying, oh, you know, come and have a look. You might like it. And he just flipped. Um, so there was these kind of, he was displaying a lot of anger. Um, he then, I don't know if he was doing this from the beginning and he just hid it from me, but all of a sudden he's smoking quite a lot of, I believe to be weed. So, you know, he was um, taking substances quite a lot. Um, I mean, the mood fluctuating was one of the biggest things. And then it was the things he was saying to me. I knew everything he was saying to me, you know, they were all red flags, you know, turning me against my family, telling me that I'm not good enough, all those different things. So there were a lot of different things that were happening. And then there was, I guess, strange things that started happening. Again, red flags. Um, So it would be things like, don't walk too loud on the floor. You'll disturb the people downstairs. He lived in flats. And he would get really worked up if he thought the people downstairs were going to get, you know, uh, hear me walking, you know, just simply walking. Um, Even washing the dishes, you know, if a bit of water went on the work surface, when it splashes, he would get very irritated by that. So there was a lot of signs in his anger, mood swings, the things he would get irritated by that, you know, I guess, you know, on reflection were, you know, were the signs for me to get out. Mm. I overlooked them. I I kind of, I guess I just justified his behavior as, okay, that's just the way he is. Maybe he's just someone who's a bit, you know, particular or someone who likes very clean things, someone who doesn't like a lot of noise. Um, I gave a reason behind his behaviors um and the truth was his behaviors were actually worrying yeah I sort of justified them yeah it's an an overreaction to everything basically yeah so what was the defining moment when you said that's it I need to get out while I still can is there a specific defining moment or was it like a period of time when you're like it's time to to do something concrete? I mean, it would have been the last time I saw him, but before that, you know, he was quite violent towards me. Um, And I had already made that decision to leave the relationship, but the last time I saw him, and he knew that, um, the last time I saw him, he had contacted me saying he was suicidal. So I went to see him because I was worried. I worried he was going to do something, but, you know, as soon as I got through the door, that's when that 
you know, what I described before, that's when that I experienced that level of violence. Um, and that was the day where I, I was convinced I was going to die that day. I oh was God. convinced of it. I, I, you know, the, the strangling, trying to stop me breathing, all of it. There were so many different things happening that mm-hmm. I believed that was my last day. Oh. And, you know, I, I even remember thinking that day, should I just jump off the balcony? Because if I'm going to die, at least I'm in control of it, you right. know? Um, and I, I managed to get out of that situation. And that was that was the moment where I thought, I, I'm lucky to be alive. I was really convinced that that's it. I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to die. Um, but I have to add on, I think what was really significant about that day as well is I went straight to the hospital. Mm. And the medical staff were brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant and I I won't forget the female doctor who done my she had to do a discharge report and head to toe I I was covered in injuries and she was documenting everything and before I left she gave me a hug and she literally said I beg you not to go back and that was something that was quite significant for me as well yeah Um, so that would have been sort of yeah that moment where I thought, right, I, I need to, I really need to sort of walk away from this. Mm-hmm. What happened after? Was it after he was trying to get? Yeah, yeah. after that, it it can it for a year. It continued to be quite difficult. So mm-hmm. he blackmailed me, uh, blackmailed me for money. Um, mm-hmm. He was threatening to release private uh, videos, pictures he had of me and him um so coming from an Indian family Asian culture that is a huge deal it's you know it's for anyone but it's a huge you know huge deal so and he knew that you know he was Asian himself Indian himself and so he blackmailed me he continued to threaten me um he continued to control me to a certain point you know if he phoned I had to pick up the phone if he didn't pick up the phone, if I didn't pick up the phone, he would say things like, I'm turning up to your house. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. Um, he knows about my sister's situation. Mm. So he would say to me, I'm going to kill her. Um, and that went on, yeah, for, for nearly a year. Um, and I, it was a few months in after leaving him, I approached a domestic violence advisor. Right. The, connected to the local police station and I spoke to them um I started to access counseling mm-hmm. uh with a domestic and sexual violence advisor uh sorry counselor so I started to see them and I was still receiving calls threats from him but um with I think the support of the DV advisor knowing that if I wanted to he didn't know that I was accessing all of this. I was okay. scared of telling him. I was scared of the consequences. Every night, and this went on for over a year, I would look at my window to make sure he wasn't standing outside. So, you know, it carried on even though I yeah. left him. Him contacting me carried on for a year. But even when the contact stopped, it still carried on. You know, I would yeah. be looking over my shoulder thinking, oh, my God, is he going to turn up? My sister-in-law, I would literally, this went on for nearly two years. 
I would text him my every movement from the moment I walked out the door mm. to the moment I went somewhere because I was so scared he was going to show up. Um, yeah, so it did. It, he it carried on for about you know a year after, and I guess even though he wasn't in my life, the fear of it, the way it controlled me, carried on for about another year. Yeah, was the police? Would you report? I assume you reported to the police as soon as you after you being discharged yeah, from the hospital. Violence advisors. Right. Um, they were quite clear in saying that um, they didn't need my consent. Yeah. because he had tried to strangle me and mm. you know the, the things that he had done they didn't actually need my consent to even pursue this right okay it, it's just you know unimaginable uh, yeah. you know to live I'm, with that that kind of fear right every day it's just yeah you know but you know horrific. what fear yeah. in that situation yes living in fear you know it is it's very suffocating it it, it can make you feel almost paralyzed But in that moment, that fear was my survival. Mm-hmm. It was that fear that was keeping me alive. It was almost that fear that was, you know, the last time I saw him, I remember him saying to me, if you make any noise, if you cry, if you scream, I'm going to hit you harder. Mm-hmm. And I had to suppress all the sounds. No matter how hard the beating was, I had to suppress it. And it was my fear of getting hit harder that made me suppress that sound. Hmm. Um, so there were moments that fear was actually what was keeping me, almost like my survival um, technique, if you like, to try and keep me going. But it was also that fear that was, um, if I'm honest with you, keeping me in this place where I was continuing to be controlled. Hmm. You know, I wouldn't even change my telephone number because I was so scared. If I change it, And he 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 knows I've changed it. What will happen? I started panicking, even though I'd left the situation. Mm-hmm. He might turn up. He might come and get me. Mm-hmm. And my fear of what would happen kept me stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had to then overcome the fear of what will happen to break free of it as well. So fear played two different mm-hmm. roles in my life mm-hmm. throughout this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what helped you, or you know, what kept you, what kept you going, or Definitely my support network, but in terms of what really helped me to rebuild myself, um, it was um, focusing on things like self-love. You know, I I threw myself into self-help books, listening to self-motivational uh, videos, affirmations. You know, I'm very big right now, even in my business, on self-love, very big on it. And the reason I'm big on it is because it played, played a significant role in my life, in me being able to rebuild my confidence, me being able to let myself know I am good enough, mm-hmm. um, I am worthy enough, but also that journey of kind of self-love is something that also helped me to understand what was a healthy and unhealthy relationship, because I started to understand myself a lot more. Um, so it was practicing day in day out I literally was being consistent day in day out I was investing in myself anything that helped me with my confidence anything that helped me to work through the fear that I was feeling um you know building up my self-worth you know it, it was so many different things mm. that played a part around that time 
I wasn't what I guess I would consider a spiritual person before that. Mm-hmm. Around that time, I came across, I guess, opened myself up to the world of meditation. Um, you know, as Suthi done at the beginning, the EFT, things like that. I, I opened myself up to things like that. Again, they played a significant role in my journey of healing um, and kind of rebuilding myself. And I remember when I went on that journey, I said to myself, I want to discover myself again. I was this confident, sociable person before I met him. I wanted to discover myself all over again. But when I went on that journey of healing and practicing self-love, building my confidence, I found a completely new person. Um, So they were very, yeah, all of those things were very important, still are, Mm -hmm. in me being able to kind of help me to work through it as well as the professional help, you know, the the counselling that, that's had a time in, in that journey where it was really helpful for me. Um, and I do think that's something that, you know, should, I think some people can feel quite uncomfortable with speaking to counsellors or therapists, but actually they play a very important role in trying to help us to process and work through a lot of the challenges that we're experiencing, a lot of the blocks that we're experiencing. So the professional help was also very helpful. Mm -hmm. What did you feel and experience, JJ, that tells you, I'm safe, I am beyond surviving, and it's, I'm in the trajectory to thrive now? Freedom. Mm. I remember when... um, when I when I think, you know, feeling safe for me was feeling free, free of fear, free of being attacked. I just felt free, free to make my own choices. Um, and I remember the first time I felt that was I was watching TV and my phone rang, my mobile phone. And I looked at it and I looked away. I'm not going to answer it. And I was just flicking through the channels. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. And in that moment, I felt this feeling of freedom. And it was the strangest thing because I never thought me not answering my phone and me having the control over a TV remote control would give me that sense of freedom. But I realized in that moment, I'm safe, I'm free. I can choose what I want to do. Mm. I don't have to get scared if I don't answer my phone. I can do whatever I want in my home right now, change the channel, watch something, not watch something, and not be scared and worried about what's going to happen. Am I going to get hit? Am I, you know, is is there going to be some kind of abuse because I've made a decision or I'm choosing to do what I want to do? Um, So they were kind of quite important a very important moment in my life where I started to realize, actually, I'm free, I'm safe. Um, sorry, Stuthi, I, I've kind of lost track of the question as well. I went off on that. Was, what, exactly that. What do you feel and experience to tell you? I'm beyond surviving now. I'm coming out from this. Yeah, it's that feeling of safety, but it's also that um, that confidence I feel. Mm. You know, even, even things, there were things that I struggled to do because of the impact that relationship had on me, you know, socializing with friends, Mm -hmm. going to sleep, feeling safe, you know, is he outside my house? Like I just explained, being in my home and doing things, which for some people might just be something they don't even think about. But in that moment, I realized, oh my God, I'm safe in my own home. I can do what the hell I want. Um, 
leaving my house and not looking over my shoulder mm. you know all, all those different things it's that it's that freedom that's what it came down to this freedom of fear this freedom of I'm safe I'm not gonna be attacked and if I if I am there was a confidence in me as well my healing and my self-love journey put this confidence in me that if he was to do anything I have no problem with approaching someone and saying help me approaching the police whatever I need to do they were things that I would hesitate doing before because I was so scared of what he would do to me if I did um so yeah mm-hmm. you know what what sort of strikes me yeah as as you sort of you know share um is, you know you talked about how sort of you were you know a confident you know, person before you met him and then and then how this relationship totally sort of broke, you know, sort of the broke confidence. you. Um mm-hmm. yeah. And um yeah, I guess what what I'm you know what what's occurring to me is just how I don't know what it is. You know, the this sort of whether it's whether it's easy, I'm not I'm not sure if that's the right term, but I guess sometimes we think, oh, you know, people who you know, or, or who've experienced domestic violence, they must be maybe, you know, weak, or they must they maybe they're, yeah, n- not very strong people. But you're showing us actually, you know, you can be, a, you know, a confident, strong person, and and because of what this mm-hmm. person does to you, the way that they um, behave, and and you know the the sort of nasty things that they do that you know how that can break sort of somebody who yeah down who's strong yeah 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 no I mean definitely before I met him I was I was a completely different person Mm -hmm. you know the people who knew me then um or knew you know know me from before I met him to now as well will will know that I'm a very confident quite feisty you know character with that said he also approached me at a time in my life where I was feeling vulnerable. You know, he approached me at a time in my life where I was experiencing quite a lot of stress. Um, so there was, even though I'm this confident person, that particular moment he entered my life, mm. I was in this place where I wasn't feeling as confident mm. because of the experiences and the stress that I was having around me. Um but the other thing is, is that, and again, this is something I realized after I left the relationship, went on my healing journey. I'm still on it, to be fair. Started to work on self-love and really understanding myself. On reflection, I realized that I didn't actually love myself enough. Even though I was this confident person and quite feisty, mm-hmm. I didn't love myself enough. I didn't my self-worth and what my boundaries are. I didn't even know if I'm honest what my boundaries were, if I'm entirely honest, before I met him. But what my boundaries are, um, me knowing that actually if someone treats you in a certain way, that is unacceptable and you do not put up with it. Mm. All of those things is not something I thought about. I applied in my life. So even though, yes, this confident person I didn't actually love myself enough mm. to actually walk away from a situation that from the beginning, my intuition was saying, 
walk away from this Mm -hmm. so I do think that because I think a lot of people can sometimes have this impression as well that if you see someone who's confident and if you see someone who looks like they've got it together and things are going well in their life that you know it means that they are someone who you know is really invested in themselves self-love and that's not always the case you know you could come across someone who comes across quite uh, uh, confident is even very successful you know maybe in their career or even financially but the way they feel about themselves and the relationship they have with themselves might be one where they doubt themselves they don't love themselves enough you know, they don't feel worthy enough. And I think those kind of things um, are very important uh, and can play a role in maybe you getting into wrong relationships. It doesn't necessarily have to be one that turns abusive, but getting into relationships that actually are not good for you. Um, and that's one of the things and one of the reasons, you know, I do think working on self-love you know, self-love is not just about waking up in the morning, aligning with the universe, you know, saying affirmations. It's deeper than that. It's it's helping you to recognize um, how, how worthy you are and helping you to recognize what your boundaries are and helping you to recognize what is good for you and what is not good for you because you love yourself enough to know what your standards are as well, but also confident enough to say yes and no to situations when you don't love yourself enough Mm. um, and that relationship with yourself is not a strong one then you know you're someone who who might for example not be confident enough to say no or walk away from situations that are actually quite unhealthy and toxic Mm. yeah through this experience JJ in hindsight what or which part of yourself that you surprisingly met and you actually love that you didn't know existed before or you didn't pay attention to before? It would be the way I feel about myself. Mm. It, it, it is the relationship I have with myself. You know, my my this experience, you know, I don't wish it upon anyone. And if I could go back in time, no, I don't. I wouldn't want to go through that. But that experience taught me a lot about me, how I see myself, how I value myself, Um, how much I respect myself, how much I appreciate myself, you know, so many different things, but it all came down to me, how I see me, how I treat me, Um, you know, and and that is something that, again, I go back to is something that is still playing quite a significant, important role in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because often I think we, we think, oh, this person did me wrong or this, it's, it's, you know, due to this person. And yes, somebody may have done you wrong uh, or, you know, the other person does contribute, but there is also often the role we ourselves play in that, in that situation, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I guess it, I guess it depends what situation that applies to. I mean, if, if we talk about, for example, survivors of domestic violence, I think the role that they play when leaving that situation um, where it could go sort of one or two ways is how much they actually invest in themselves. Mm. You know, I think there there could be people who find themselves living in that fear and living in that trauma over and over again. And then there's people who I feel like have the right support or they have that, um, uh, I guess, the courage and the confidence within themselves 
to work through, you know, the, the trauma that they've experienced. And I'm not saying that the people who um, struggle with working through that trauma are people who, you know, can't do it. It just might mean that they don't have the right support around them to do it. Um, but I do, I, I do feel that the way that you are responsible for yourself. But when you're in a situation like that, you know, a victim of domestic violence, you know, I often hear when I've come across people talking about it or videos on social media, and I might see some comments where people say, well, why didn't you just leave? Um, you know, you should take the step to just leave that situation. And it's not as easy as that. You know, when you are fearing for your life and you know the consequences of that is, is basically your life, leaving is not that easy. Um, so when it comes to what responsibility you have when you're a victim, reflecting on my journey, my responsibility in that moment while I was in that relationship was survival. Mm-hmm. But when I left that relationship and I was able to put myself in a safe place, my responsibility to myself then was about me working through my journey to try and overcome and work through the trauma that I had experienced from it. What happened to him? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I actually, I actually don't know. Okay. I mean, he contacted me, as you know, as the D. Yes. Um, a few months ago, um, and I don't know. I, I I haven't even responded. I contacted him. This is, we're going eight years later. Um, I contacted obviously domestic violence advisors just to get some advice and put a safety plan in. But I actually don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not something that the police would update you. I guess it just you just leave it completely to them. And the police. I mean, the police have um, to a certain point. It got to a point that I I, I needed to kind of just not be around it. Um, I do remember the police when they were looking into the domestic violence advisor, it was her I was in contact with, were talking about things like putting a marker on my house, which means that if I ever, I don't know, if I called the police and said a cat stuck up the tree, for example, they would still treat that as this could be an emergency because they would see, because there was a marker on my property, whatever, whatever. Um, So there was a lot of those conversations and things happening around that time, but yeah, the, the domestic violence advisor was the person that I was in contact with. I, I, I was that period of time was a, t- a time where fear was what consumed me, yeah. um, and I was constantly in this. My behavior, everything was about how do I keep myself safe? How do I make sure that I don't get caught? How do I make sure that you know I, I don't die? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there was a certain point where for my own mental health, you know, I had to kind of step back from it all. Yeah. Yeah. And how has your life changed now, you know, as a as a result of leaving leaving him and, and working through, you know, um the, the the trauma? You know, how has that changed the sort of the trajectory of your life? Oh, so much. <laughs> so much has changed for me. I mean, it's, even though it's been a couple of years that so much has changed for me, I think I'm still processing how much has changed. You know, the change started from me working on myself. That led to, you know, like I just explained, sort of the the healing methods, techniques, the, the self-love, in, investing my time and energy into self-help books, whatever would help me to shift my mindset, to uh, work through whatever I needed to work through with my own healing. And that led to me then 
Um, I guess feeling more excited about life, wanting more in life, wanting to. Um, I think for me, being independent felt very different in that moment because my independence felt like it was taken away from me because of that relationship. So I wanted to then become independent where I am building success. And that whole journey led me to building my own business, something that I didn't plan to do. My journey led me there. You know, me working on myself, me building my confidence, me not fearing about what the outcome of something's going to be led to all of a sudden me waking up one day and setting up my own business. And it was literally like, that's how I did it. There was no planning behind it. I just literally woke up and done it. Um, you know, so a lot of good things happened for me in terms of I built my own business. I'm I'm confident in, you know, being able to speak, you know, one, from being someone who, from the impact of that, I couldn't even hold a conversation with my mm. friends to being able to speak quite openly on public platforms. I've got social media pages, being able to kind of communicate and speak on that platform. So my confidence, you know, grew more than I, I I think I've been confident in the past as well. Um, but I think, again, I go back to, you know, the success, me rebuilding my life, you know, how my life has improved with business and um, feeling a lot more confident, independence. That's one thing. I think for me, the most important thing that I will always hold on to is how it's improved around the way I feel about myself. You know, leaving a situation like that, um, you know, I didn't sit there and think in so many years time, I want to feel better about myself. I just went with the journey I needed to go through to work through what I needed to work through. But I came out of it feeling so much better about myself, you know, mm -hmm. feeling good, feeling beautiful, feeling, you know, good enough, uh, feeling excited, um, mm -hmm. knowing that I will sort of have better in life. But also, I think what that situation did do as well is when I face obstacles and challenges now, I face it very differently. Mm. Uh, I don't face it by running away from it um, because I have worked so much on myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess what I experienced and the fear that I worked through with that, it's almost like, well, if I can work through that, I can work through anything. Mm -hmm. um, so it also kind of helped me in terms of working, uh, facing a lot of challenges a lot more confidently, a lot more differently as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, now a lot's changed for me. But for me, the most important part is is me, how I feel about myself. Which is, I think, is is life, what, the, the, the greatest achievement in life, I suppose, <laughs> because everybody everybody is they have different journey but at the end of the day in my opinion how you feel about yourself and how you show up in life is actually the ultimate success or yeah. the ultimate worthy worth of of a life a full life yeah. and i'm just so impressed uh by you jj with the inner strength and what speaks to me the most is your intuition it's like went through the roof after this or maybe it has always been but I no, think so that was something that um surprised me mm. um so I am an intuitive reader as, as you know I'm an intuitive reader and 
interestingly enough, this situation, the trauma that I experienced, unlocked something in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I discovered I had these very strong intuitive abilities, um, which, you know, I it's not even something I even thought about, you know, forget even tapping into it. I never even thought about things like that before that, but it opened up a completely different, it's like it unlocked things in me that I that was sitting there and I wasn't even aware of. And I think me kind of investing my time and energy into, you know, things like meditation and those kind of things, trying to help me, my healing journey as well, kind of help towards that. But yeah, this this kind of trauma, I guess, did unlock a lot of things within me that I didn't even know were there. Um, and my intuition developed considerably. Which is amazing because this is how you help so many people these days, making healthy, loving choices for themselves. And I think this is something that I find really amazing from you. And I think this is the reason why we connected to begin with <laughs> this intuition and intuitive, yeah. your intuitive capability. Um I have two more questions for you. The first is basically two specific questions. What would you say to the people who are now thinking to leave uh, a situation that is similar to yours in the past? Um, Second group of people would be the people who are in the process. So they decided already and uh, in the process of doing that, and the third people, the third group is the people who are supporting people who wanted to break free from this uh, horrific situation, type of situation. So with the first two, it, it would be, I think the same would apply for that. What I would sort of suggest is make sure that you are in contact with someone you consider safe. Um, it is important that you speak to someone about this. When leaving a situation like this, I will say, you know, seek professional advice, but there is safety planning that is needed around it. Um, If it was safe to leave a situation just like that, I think a lot of people would have done that. Um, There is this kind of safety planning that needs to go around it. And that does mean you connecting with, um, you could connect with, you know, a friend or family member who could help you with that safety planning, but uh, connecting with a professional, especially if there's children involved as well, Um, young children in the home then that's another sort of factor that needs to take into account when you are thinking about leaving or in the process of leaving an abusive relationship so the safety planning is quite important Um, and domestic violence advisors um, you know they're very skilled very experienced in working with people who want to leave or are ready to leave an abusive relationship in a safe way you know, if if people are worried that if they go to a domestic violence advisor, all of a sudden, you know, there's going to be police coming through the door and, you know, their life's going to be at risk. Domestic violence are very skilled. You know, when I approached the domestic violence advisor, she did not approach the police until I was ready to. Her priority in that moment was my safety and all the focus, despite of what I had experienced, her focus was making sure I was safe mm-hmm. um, and all the planning behind that was in place. Um, so definitely speak to professionals, friends and families. Um, there are also, I'm not sure about sort of other countries, but I know in the UK, there are 
you know, I, I guess depending on your situation, if you're in an abusive relationship and if you have access to, you know, the internet, but there are kind of telephone numbers you can call. Um, they're usually free telephone numbers as well that you can call to get advice. Um, so definitely, you know, speaking to someone um, and the safety planning behind it. I, I usually what can happen and, you know, if I'm honest, it's probably best to look at the kind of latest research and stats around it. But from what I remember when I left that telling the perpetrator you're leaving is actually one of the most dangerous things you could do. Um, and so it is important that when you are doing it, you're you're doing it in a way where you have all that planning in place. Um, and if you feel like you can't leave it, I would still say speak to someone, you know, even if it's a friend or family member, still speak to someone. It's through speaking to someone you then gain the support, confidence and courage to start taking those steps. You know, it was through me speaking to the other people in my life and then rallying around me and then coming up with the plan and mm. how we're going to move through this situation that really gave me that encouragement to leave as well. Yeah. Um, and with sort of people supporting them, it would be the same thing as well, helping helping them with a safety plan. But the one thing I would say as well is, you know, I I think the the things that you're saying to someone who's going through this are really important as well. Um, saying things like, um, "I'll just leave the situation," or "I don't understand why you've left any you haven't left any sooner." isn't actually going to make the person leave. If anything, they're already not feeling great about themselves. It will just knock their confidence even mm. more. You know, I remember the last time I went to the hospital, the staff were amazing, but there was another time I went to my local GP, had a big bruise on my leg, he had to check it. And he said to me, don't go back to him. I said, I won't. And he he said, uh, what did he say? He goes, oh, they all say that. Mm. And I'll never forget that moment. And I did go back. And there's a huge difference to the last time I went and the, the professionals and the way they responded to that professional. Mm. And the last time I went, the professionals were, you know, so amazing in the support they were giving me and do not go back to that situation. So, you know, I think the way that you approach the situation is really important as well. It's not about targeting the person or it's not about saying, um, you know, it's kind of making them feel guilty or why are you putting up with this? this? This is, it's not about that. It's about giving them the strength and courage to be able to walk away from it, despite the fear. You know, you can't say overcome the fear, I think despite the fear. And again, that's where that support safety planning comes in as well. If they're speaking to someone and, you know, if you've got a friend or a family member who's going through this and that person feels like they can't speak to a professional, maybe on their behalf you can. You know, you could even ring up a number without giving a name, get some advice. I've got, I know someone who's going through this situation. How can I help them? What advice can I give? What's the correct safety planning? And then you can that way support, you know, a friend or family member as well. Um, but I would definitely say try and lean on sort of, or, or reach out to the professional support. Yeah. Mm. How do you relate to trust and vulnerability today, JJ? Oh, two very different things. <laughs> the trust thing, there are moments where I still struggle with it, if I'm yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, especially when it doesn't matter if it's a romantic relationship with any relationship. Yeah. 
even though years have gone by, I haven't forgotten what's happened. And even though I have worked through it, there are still, I think, some things I'm very cautious about. Um, You know, I entered into a relationship and it was four years into it that it got really dangerous. So me meeting someone and trusting them after a year is a very difficult thing for me to do. Um, so trusting someone is something that I'm not going to lie. It is still quite yeah. difficult for me, yeah. but the difference is, is I do not ignore the red flags. Right. Um, even that feeling, that feeling that something's not right here. I, I will listen to it where I ignored it before. I don't ignore it anymore. Um, so trust is something that, and, and I think that, you know, if someone's in this situation where they struggle to trust I think it's really important to speak to that person and let them know. So a lot of the close connections I have around me are aware of my situation now. And they're aware, you know, if something happens and I'm doubting them and I I don't trust something, I share it with them. I don't say because of this. I just share, look, I'm struggling to trust the situation. I'm feeling a bit insecure about this. And the way they respond to that, and how they work with me speaks volumes as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so that is another way you could kind of work with any challenges you're having when you are, you know, struggling to trust a relationship. But that's something I'm still working on, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. With the vulnerability side, I think that's completely different. I don't feel as vulnerable as I used to. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, I've got so much of my life touch wood to live. I don't know if I'll come across, across a situation where I do feel vulnerable the way I used to. But when I feel, when things make me feel like I'm not feeling that confident, I'm not feeling, you know, I guess, you know, I am feeling a little bit vulnerable to a situation. I deal with it very differently now to how I used to. Again, I gui- I am guided by my intuition. But the one thing I do do is when I'm feeling vulnerable, when I'm feeling triggered, is I lean on the practices that helped me. Mm-hmm. I lean on whatever helped me in my healing journey, whatever self-love practices, you know, I invest my time and energy into whatever it might be that helps me to move through that and pick myself back up again. I lean on that. I invest my time into that. Um, so that's how I tend to respond now to kind of vulnerable situations. The trust thing I'm still working on, uh, still working on, but I feel like I can trust someone safely now yeah. in the sense yeah. that uh, the red flags, I'm I'm stepping back from that. Um, having a conversation with someone, I'm not sure if I can trust that. For me, that's a safe to, safe approach. Um, so I think that's the difference with the, the trust thing as well. Which is a huge difference. Yeah. Significantly huge, yeah. Uh, different. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. You're very this. welcome. So I just would like to, on behalf of Julia and myself, I just would like we would I would just like to honor you again, JJ. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for opening up your heart, for opening up your life to us, a significant chapter in your life. I am very touched. I'm tapping myself here every now and then over here <laughs> as I was listening to you. It's a very effective practice. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, and I'm very sure that um this speaks to many people and uh, I would like to encourage also the listeners and the viewers if they know of anyone that would gain benefits from this sharing to share this with them um because yeah your this the what's being shared here is absolutely inspiring and truly truly give me 
a lot of hope. Thank you. Thank you. And I think for me, the main kind of, I guess, message, you know, I would like to put out there, especially with, you know, when I, when I didn't hesitate in speaking about this, is that, you know, if you are a survivor of domestic violence, if you've recently left a relationship or any situation that has caused you trauma, it's not impossible to rebuild your life. You know, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not impossible. And you can literally turn your whole whole life around, um, especially in the way that you feel about yourself, the relationship you have with yourself, provided you, you know, I guess are consistent and committed to working on yourself. And for those who are in a relationship which is abusive, that is a relationship you can leave. The perpetrator almost, you know, it's their focus to make you feel like you can't, but you can actually leave that relationship. And as scary as that might be, you have this wonderful path ahead of you, you know, by you kind of focusing on yourself and leaning on the support that is available to you around you. You have this wonderful, wonderful path in front of you, which gives you that amazing feeling of freedom and living a life free of fear as well. Which is an ultimate success to to live in a place of thriving, which is love-based yeah. rather than fear-based. Yeah. Which is, this is your journey. You make the huge cross from that, yeah. in that bridge. Thank you, JJ. That was amazing. Thank and you, Julie. You're very inspiring to yes. yeah, hear your story. Thank you. And to everyone listening and uh, watching this episode, lovely to have you back. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you and take care, everyone. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe and enjoy life. Enjoy life.